singing in the kitchen. You are listening to Redeemer Radio, a weekly conversation connecting the gospel of Jesus Christ to the questions and issues of everyday life. Hosted by the leaders of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Greetings, Redeemer family, and welcome back to Redeemer Radio. I am Pastor Ross, joined again by Dan and Sean, and we are continuing our journey looking at David Mathis's Christmas devotional called The Christmas We Didn't Expect. But guys, before we dive in, I wanted to see if you were up for a little Christmas trivia. Sure. I guess we have to be whether we are want to or not, right? That's right. Yeah, it doesn't feel like we have much control or say over the situation, but yeah, bring it on. All right. What does Noel mean? Do you guys know? Have you ever studied that word? Yes, and I can't remember. Um, no, and I can't remember. <laughs> it was a really, well, I shouldn't say that. It was a really cute girl I worked at camp with was named Noel. Oh, there you go. I was going to yeah. say, I think I had a so, crush on a girl named Noel at some yeah, point. Yeah, okay, I did too, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Probably <laughs> nice. not the same I'm girl. certain not the same one. Well, I don't have that in my story, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I did a little research recently because I was curious. I'd heard it long ago and forgot, but it's it's got it's a multi-layered word. It's got a complicated um, history, but functionally it just is synonymous with christmas the way we use it is just a diff- another word for christmas but hmm. it has kind of an english and french root meanings that mean joyful news kind of like the word gospel means okay. good news yeah. but then the latin side of it um is more aligned with with birth and so it it's kind of putting those all together and it's joyful news of a birth all right and so you know whenever if you send a text or make a call after, you know, there was a birth in your family. That's a, that's a Noel. That's a, that's okay. joyful news of, right. of a birth. And so in the song, it says the first Noel, the angels did sing to shepherds. And so that the use of that word and that phrase, the first Noel, the angels did sing. It's this angel sang a joyful news of a birth. So, there you go. well, I actually just got a Noel then, right? Because ah. my daughter just called me Cassie. She just gave birth to my second yes. grandchild. Yes, that's so to exciting. To Harper, and I got to see her on FaceTime. So that's a lot better than us talking about these crushes we had. Like, I'm kind of regretting and wish we could go back and uh, re-record. But you it will live on on the interwebs. That's right. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, so random then. but yeah. useful information sure. for all, right. yeah. all of you. Will there be another question next week? Uh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll watch a lot of Jeopardy between now and then. (laughs) Nice. Brush up on Christmas trivia. Yeah. All right. So this episode uh, deals with chapters 4 through 10 of the book to correlate with December 4 through 10. And so, yeah, I just wanted to get all of our, some of our takeaways from this past week's reading. So Sean, could you start us off? Yeah. So starting, um, I I have this little section uh, in the book called Unexpected News. And so starting off, uh, they, they talk about, uh, or David, David Mathis talks about how um, the shepherds were greeted by an angel. The, the, these shepherds who were just minding their business in a field outside of Bethlehem were greeted by an angel. Uh, they were, they were uh, tending to the sheep. And then all of a sudden an angel appears with the glory of the Lord shining around them. Uh, God chooses to, to bring this news to them, to break this news, this year of breaking news, right? He chooses to bring this news to them while they're just minding their business in the field. Um, a God who chooses to, he, he chooses to break the biggest news that, that we've ever, that we could have ever experienced on this, yeah. on this earth, that he is breaking in. He is coming uh, and sending his son to us. Yeah. 
he, he chooses to break this news to the, this group of lowly shepherds. Hmm. Um, and so we might, we might, uh, we, we might be tempted to think that God needs a PR lesson, right? Yeah. He needs, he need, you know, that's not, you know, the city's right there, God, like, why wouldn't you just break the news to all these people in Bethlehem? Um, why would you choose to do it kind of in this remote location? Um, and, and it's, it, it kind of resonates with me right now as we're in a year where anytime you turn on the news, there's breaking news about the pandemic, about the election, about whatever, right? Uh, yeah. Whatever's happening in the world, everything is a 10. Everything is breaking news. Everything is yeah. uh, a catastrophe. Uh, God chooses instead to, instead of doing this like megaphone type announcement, I am God and Jesus is here. And so, you know, he chooses to do it through these shepherds. And I think that's just an interesting uh, kind of an interesting revelation or, or an interest, interesting thing to focus on. I think as we enter ourselves into the story and just think this, this is something that really happened in yeah. history. Um, I wonder what that conversation was like between God and the angels when he kind of gave them the direction to go tell the shepherds what their response was. Uh, wait, are you sure? Uh, didn't you mean go to Jerusalem to the most important strategic people? Yeah. I mean, it's not, the strategy of the world today, right? Yeah. It, it goes against everything that we think when you start with the lowly. Obviously, there's the theological connection with Jesus going to be the good shepherd and the promise uh, of announcing. Yes. I think there's some connections there, but as we look back and just see that God has always really chosen the low, the humble, mm. yeah. the outsider, right, and to draw them in when we so much want to be the insiders and keep people on the outside. Yeah. And we, there are ways that the the world sort of tricks and manipulates us into thinking that we are more important maybe than we actually mm-hmm. are. Right. Yep. We can pay for early access to different things and to have, and to have a, a higher station, we can sort of uh, put ourselves in those positions and yet God working like Dan, what you said, working against the worldly way of doing things chooses to, to reveal uh, this to, to these shepherds and, and, uh, it, it works out well because it brings it ultimately uh, brings more glory to God and like he, he knows what he's doing in this situation. Um, the shepherds, when they go to see what's happened, the natural response is, you know, we have to go see what this claim this this claim that the angels made that this is Christ, the Lord, the Savior is here. What is like? What do we do with that? Well, we should go check it out. <laughs> right. And they do. And what does it leave them with? It leaves them with uh, praising and worshiping God. That's that's yeah. how ultimately we we leave them in the in this little section of the story. And, um, and they, they leave that, they leave that place, uh, just praising him and rejoicing him and telling others ab- about this good news, about the, the savior that has come, uh, and, and is born in this incredibly humble and lowly estate, uh, that he's yeah. here. This is, this has happened. So any, any other reactions to that? I mean, it's just kind of a, it's kind of a funny juxt- juxtaposition against how we experience the news today. And, um, even when something good comes across the news, you know, it's it's retweeted and a million times and YouTube views in the in the hundreds of millions and any anything that's big and notable, um, but this started so humbly, so uh, just so simply, right? Right. He didn't make it go viral immediately. Right. And yes. he didn't intentionally do that, which is thought provoking. Yeah, it gives added significance to the mustard seed parable. Hmm. You know. Yeah. Just, uh, what a picture of that. Yep. Like, yeah, it's a grassroots movement, and yeah. it starts in the most unlikely of places, and yet the place that makes the most sense. Yeah, yeah, I think it encourages me even in my own evangelism, like that there's a lot of significance to the small, you know, 
conversations that I have with those I'm trying to influence towards Christ that it doesn't have to be, you know, this conquer the world type strategy. It's it's it can start small and I don't know. Yeah, and part of the part of the message from the angels is that this is a savior who is here for all people. Mm-hmm. Um, and and to start with shepherds, not the the most important people that would have been able to get the news out quickly. Um, just again, just th- this idea that the gospel, that Jesus is here as a savior, and it's for all people, not just the elite or the elect or the you know the very the few that have put themselves in positions of yeah. political power or influence. It's it's for all. The angels have declared yeah. this, uh, you know, instructions from God to come and declare this to the shepherds. Yeah, I'm actually going to bring up one of my chapters now because it merges right with that. It's called We Three Kings of Orient Aren't. And the whole idea is the Magi were not kings. They were wise men, probably astrologers, Babylonians and Persians that probably dabbled in magic and just things that really the scriptures say are wrong to be involved in. And so we see these lowly people, these outsiders, who most people would think were beyond the reach of the gospel, coming to worship Jesus. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of making that same point there, uh, just that we need to be careful not to narrow who God might reach, uh, that God is always wooing and winning and moving towards people, and particularly, again, whether it's the lowly as shepherds or the the, the foreigner and the um, you know occult practicer or just superstitious, however you want to fit the category that they might be. They weren't kings coming homage, really. Mm. Uh, but I also say I think there's something, too, to that. The message, uh, what happened with Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I think their imprint in Babylonia and Persia was probably what gave them the, the enough knowledge to know to go seek out Christ. So, again, we see some of the intermingling of through the, disp- through the exile how God is still reaching people as he was disciplining these people. Now these these unlikely people come to worship Jesus. Um, so that ties really in mean, again. It's yeah. for everybody. Uh, and that I challenges who we're going to do evangelism to and who yeah. we think needs the gospel. Absolutely. Yeah, and then Matthews goes on chapter 8 or December 8th. Uh, he points out this distinction. Um, so not only is it good news that, that, that Jesus has come, but this is an uh, an incident of great joy uh, that has come to the world. Um, he points out there, there's this distinction between the daily joys that we experience and this idea of great joy as a term, which in the Bible we see is reserved for special moments. I've, I've literally never noticed this before, that there's this, there's this term that, that is great joy that applies to different, some, some significant moments in, in, in redemptive history, in Old Testament history, and several times in the New Testament. Um, these words, this term great joy is, is written about Jesus's resurrection and ascension in Acts 15, three, it's, it's used uh, to describe uh, their reaction about the inclusion of the Gentiles in God's new covenant people. It's these joys that are set apart a little bit and and elevated. Um, Our daily joys actually help enhance this great joy. It enhances the idea that we can experience God fully day in and day out. But then in a season like Christmas, Christ's uh, coming to, to us, his birth, his his life, his ministry, his uh, his death, his resurrection and ascension. These are great joys. Uh, and Mathis goes on to, to point out that in coming and, and his coming being a great joy, he does battle with great sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this great joy is what ultimately drives out great sin, the fear and the sorrow 
and the, some of the anxiety and depression that we're feeling, especially in a year filled with a pandemic and an election, things seem hopeless. This great joy, he's, he's, he's showing us that uh, this transcends all of those things because mm. Christ has fully done battle. Uh, through this joy to, to beat those things back and to the expulsive power of a great affection. Yeah. 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 I, I think that idea of joy, here's a little foreshadowing uh, or an advertisement. We're going to start studying Philippians in the new year. That is just a book full of Jesus, a book that tries to teach us how we need to have joy in the midst of hardship. In fact, Paul said he's learned how to be content and he gives several commands to joy and you're right, it's reflecting on the gospel, on the great joy that Christ has accomplished for us. So there really is something about rooting ourselves in this truth of the incarnation and its purpose more than just in December, right? But all year round as we take this great Christology, this doctrine of Christ, and apply it to our hearts and minds to, to find that joy. And I, I love movies. I love stories. I love immersing myself in a good book or or a good movie. And so I think, uh, yeah, a- along with that is slowing down and being willing to mm. put yourself in the midst of the story as an observer. Yeah. You don't have to picture yourself what you would have done there, but just being sort of a, a slave to the story mm-hmm. and slowing down and thinking, I am, this is, this is my story too, right? Yeah. This story is also, is also my story. And so being able to slow down and really take in, drink in the, this, what actually happened in history um, and, and how this event really is just, it's transcendent. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's indescribable really. Like there's yeah. no words to really describe yeah. it, to, but just to experience that great joy, something we're called to. And, and in order to do that, I think we have to slow our minds down mm-hmm. and, and really focus in on it and, and enjoy it and, and enjoy yeah. that, this, this beautiful story. So. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. I was just going to build on the story. Like I, I think the four part story, creation, fall, redemption, consummation, glory, glorification, is so important for us to, I think we sometimes only focus on one or two of the pieces and to be able to keep all of it together. Because again, Advent is expectation and the first Advent's already happened. So we have the second Advent. We have the fourth part of the story that we're looking forward to. We're looking to the finale, to the final Mm -hmm. book, uh, final uh, act in many ways. So I think even putting this within the context of that four part story is really important that I know I don't consciously do enough. And so I think, that's important even as we're talking about the first advent to keep in the second advent the whole the whole storyline yeah that's a it's a really a lot of helpful points i I, i'd never thought of uh the significance of the the phrase the great joy and and how if you look at the whole bible and that phrase and it really brings out a lot of meaning to that that was that was really helpful yeah some some things that stood out to me, some takeaways for me. He has a chapter on the song, What Child Is This? That was really well done. It, it really drew some things out of that song that'll you know, really lead me to never sing that song the same again. Um, one of the lines he zeroes in on is the phrase, come peasant king to own him. And he's just talking about you know, this idea that both the lowly and the elite, the kings, both can come um, and worship Jesus, where he, you know, he dignifies the lowly, but he also humbles the elite. And uh, and if you look at the life of Jesus, that's just that's just so true um, of the whole gospel story. Um, I think, yeah, it was just it was an encouraging. I mean, there's a lot of other things in that chapter, but just encouraging to give new life to an old and familiar carol. And just see the uniqueness of Christ. You think about people in your own life, 
um, and who's really good at relating to people, I, I think it's it's unique to see someone who can really move towards uh, the lowly um, in a really dynamic way, but also towards the higher ups mm. um, and have lots of respect from all different kinds of people. And, and, you know, that Jesus was such an embodiment of that and challenges how I move towards people as I seek to love people the way Jesus does. You know, I can be, I can fall into being, you know, too good for the lowly, but also too intimidated by the higher ups and, and let them allow them to influence me more than they should. And, and it just reminds me we're all, we all need Jesus. And, um, uh, and as I move towards people, to kind of move towards him with that lens. He also talked about the incarnation um, in, in, in different ways and just the importance of the idea that Jesus was both God and man. And there's obvious theological significance. He needs to be God to be perfect, um, to be a perfect sacrifice, but he also needs to be a human uh, because um, he needs to be able to represent humanity to be the second Adam. But he brought out a different significance of the incarnation that I hadn't really thought much of, just more of like a relational and an emotional significance of it. Um, He talks about the reality of God becoming man is how satisfying that is to the deepest parts of the human soul, uh, more than any other Savior could be. He, He says in the book, no one person satisfies the complex longings of the human heart like the God man. And so on the one hand, our souls are designed to long for something that's more than human to be our savior, something uh, because we, we are all confronted with the imperfections of humanity. So thus he was God. Yet in our humanity, we, it's, it's helpful to have something accessible, an accessible point of contact with the divine. And he says an unincarnate deity doesn't connect with us as profoundly as the God who became man. It made me think of just our infatuation with heroes, with superheroes yeah. in yeah. our culture. I mean, you think of how much money has been made on superhero movies in the last 20 years or last 50 years. Um, and there's lots of reasons for that. But I think what he's talking about this in, the, in this chapter um, gets at some of that, where, where in the deepest part of us, um, we are longing for this, you know, this this superhero, if you will, who's who's got superhuman qualities, but also we can connect with him because he's got human qualities as well. I, it's kind of a cheesy shirt. You've probably seen it, but there's that that T-shirt that went around of Jesus sitting in a circle with like Superman, Batman, Spider-Man around him, <laughs> and he's and, yeah. and the, the the line is just and that's how I save the world. And they're yeah. all listen, they're all right. like glued to Jesus, and you know it's it's kind of has some silliness in his way, but it's also profound. Um, and I think it communicates to our culture. So, yeah, I think you're hitting on some of the parts of story that Sean's hitting about. We need we need a hero for the issue for the the problem for the conflict. Yeah, I think it is interesting. This is a whole nother tangent, and this isn't my great realm, but it's been interesting to see the move towards flawed heroes. Yeah, and the move towards dystopian uh, fascination, hmm. where we're losing some of i would argue maybe the divinity of the hero interesting uh, and we're we're moving just into the mere the humanity um th- i thought it was interesting mathis did a good job of hitting some theological profound theological truths like the hypostatic union which again it's a big theological word which isn't so important but the idea is that he's 100% god 100% man yeah and then how he even r- refers to the chalcedonian creed you know the the 
the church struggled with more with, um, you know, over the years, whether it was some doubted Jesus humanity, some doubted his divinity, um, and just giving us categories, but he does it in a way that makes sense. Cause sometimes yeah. we think doctrine is not important or, right. or dry and you brought out the really personal part of it, but we do need a human hero, but one who's perfect. We yeah. don't, we don't need a flawed hero yeah. because we're flawed. Um, I sometimes think that's why we liked flawed heroes because they we see ourselves more in them and we actually need someone outside of us for our, a righteousness that's imputed to us, not one mm-hmm. that we we earn. Yeah. And he you know, he when he's talking about the song What Child Is This, he it was helpful to me. He says that's not actually as much a question as it is a statement. You know, there's times in the Gospels where they're like, who is this who even commands the wind and the waves? That's not as much a question as it is like a statement that they're making. And he said, you need to view that. That's how that song is meant to be sung. And I hadn't really thought of that before. But it, as I'm reflecting on that he's fully God and fully man, this this child, and you know, what child is this mm-hmm. yeah. um, that has this, uh, such this quality? So I'm going to bring out a, a Tolkien quote. Of course you are. Of course are. I am. <laughs> um, the the idea of a of something catastrophic happening we understand that that's something that's bad well Tolkien coined this term called eucatastrophe I knew um, it was coming yeah the <laughs> the good it. catastrophe it's the huh. good it's the it's the pivotal moment that happens in a story where it takes all of the the bad and undoes it and and it's right. good it's suddenly good it, in the Marvel movie in the you know Infinity no not Infinity Endgame yeah. when all of them show back up right after yeah. being dead and they all come yeah. out of the the strange holes and fight the bat whatever whatever yeah. happens in that final scene that is the eucatastrophe of that story um, and the incarnation tolkien literally says about the incarnation he calls it uh, he says the incarnation of christ is the eucatastrophe of human history and the resurrection uh, the eucatastrophe of the incarnation um, that's and so cool. jesus embodies this idea that he, he finishes the story right he, yeah. he accomplishes he's the 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 unflawed hero that deals with the shame that probably comes along with us wanting a flawed hero right right we can't yep. measure up and so we don't want to even have to try Right. Yeah. I mean, and the same thing, the eucatastrophe and uh, the line, the witch in the wardrobe with Aslan being sacrificed and, yeah. and then winter being taken away because of that. And, um, so yeah, it's why we're celebratory on good Friday, right? We know yeah. the end of the story. It's the right. catastrophe. It's not catastrophic. Right. It's not the end of the story's not, and he's dead. Right. It, we know the end of the story is he's risen. Yeah. Dan, I think you're going to have to teach us a word now sean's taught us you catastrophe i've taught noel you're you're the odd man out now yeah well you know i have a more limited vocabulary than you smart guys so. yeah i guess so he's just being really humble hey i said hypostatic union that's true so that's there true. we go uh any more from your takeaways dan have you yeah i mean so back to mind the idea of the the magi kind of the lowly yeah the people who are on the outside an application I didn't bring up was just, you know, I think what that does for us too is helps us think of the long game. I mean, this Daniel was hundreds of years before, right. And then finally comes the promised one. And, and we're in such a time of immediacy that we, we struggle. We become fearful. I think sometimes if our children are questioning their faith, or if someone we've shared the gospel with doesn't immediately believe. I think we are also uncomfortable in the church when adults maybe who've been following Christ begin to say, I'm not sure if this is true. I mean, we've seen countless deconversion stories because of our 
I don't know, fascination with celebrity Christians. And then we see them fall. But we don't know the end of the story. And so for me as a pastor, one of the joys of being in the same place for 14 and a half years now is I get to watch some of those struggles yeah. come to resolution. Wow. Not all of them, but some of them. Yeah. And, you know, so really, if you think, if, if we're going to model patience as God did, God was patient sometimes for months, years, yeah. decades, centuries. Yeah. Right? So can we allow our teens or even adults a year, two years right. of wrestling? Wow. Maybe not fully throwing off the faith, but holding on to it. So that was one of the pieces. The other one I thought was just interesting is he talked about uh, the song Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And he gave a little bit of the history, which I thought was kind of cool. Because um, Charles Wesley wrote it back in 1739. And he had a bunch of verses. And then George Whitfield, they were friends. uh, About 20 years later, uh, he kind of combined a couple of the verses because he didn't like necessarily what he had done. And that's actually where we get Hark the Herald Angels Sing was from him. Because before it was... Hark how all the welkin rings, glory to the king of kings. And so he changes it, and it had a slow tune, and then they retuned it. A guy came with a faster tune. Huh. And then how we sing it only began in 1961. Like Hmm. how we've taken the refrain, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King, how we use it every time. That wasn't introduced as a refrain until 1961. Wow. So all that to say, it just made me think, you know, there's lots of conversations in the life of the church about what is the right church music, you know, and is it contemporary music? Is it retuned hymns? Is it only old hymns with the right tune? Mm -hmm. Um, If that's the case, then we're not singing the right tune because we should stick with Wesley's original, right? Right. um, And that's not to make an argument, but it is just to really just say, you know, one of the things here at the church is we... We do want to, as we think about music, have retuned hymns, hymns that have great, rich theology, but maybe some new tunes that are more accessible to us. We want to teach the good hymns of the faith that have been um, treasured for generations. We want to consider new songs as well. You know, I mean, you know, Whitfield, that whippersnapper was, you know, editing words and then editing tunes. Um, But... That, so that was that just intrigues me about the whole idea of music and those things, and that's a whole other conversation too. But the part I really loved was just thinking about the third verse that focuses on the mission of Jesus. So we're, we're talking about his coming, but his coming is always related to his purpose. And so the third verse is all about his mission. Mild he lays his glory by, born that men no more may die. Born to raise the sons of the earth, of earth, born to give them second birth. He came to rescue us. Hmm. And that he was going to become king through death. And um, you may have seen it again. It's it's a visual. It's a, it could be cheesy, but, you know, there's this, this Christmas wreath. And it says, you know, Christ has come. And one side is the green and the other side is the thorns. Hmm. So the picture of he came, we celebrate that advent, but he came to die. And wow. so those two can I've never, never be seen that. That's really those neat. two can never be separated. Yep. You know, we and that's why we can have great joy because he came to die and rescue us. Yeah. So that's that's neat. really kind of my thoughts. I don't know if yeah. that sparks anything in you guys or not. 
No, that was that was really helpful. I'd never heard that history about that song. That's two songs now that we've, you know, helped come more to life yeah. for us. Yeah. Any final comments or thoughts from Sean or Dan? Speak now or forever hold your peace or for one more week. No, I, I just enjoy it. I mean, I hope our conversations might spark as people are listening it uh, to us to have conversations with other people about it, yeah. to share the things they're learning, to yep. um, just to slow down, contemplate the beauty of the coming of Christ. Yeah. You know, this can be such a busy time of year. And personally, it's been like, I think for a lot of us, a, a strained and stressful year. Yeah. And so I'm just trying to block out some time. Oh, there was one more thing actually he said in this we can end go. on this application of just he goes, So often we don't we don't sing in our personal worship. Hmm. And he just said, We should make more use of that. Now yeah. if you can't carry a tune, then just play the song and play it louder than you're singing. Yeah. Uh, but still sing because there's something in the gift of music that God has given us that stirs our hearts even more than just the written word. Yeah. Um he made us these creatures who can find and experience truth through music uh in ways that are powerful and we don't we need to be careful i mean all the psalms are songs right so we we shouldn't dismiss that um and so that's an application i think for all of us let's sing some of these great hymns in our personal devotions uh, and with our families over over the holidays Yeah. yeah that's that's really great and and to even to read these stories out loud dramatically and then sing, yeah, sing the carols with your family, tell the story, um, immerse yourself in it. Um, great joy can be found in, yeah. in some of these well-worn paths, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I hope this was a helpful conversation for you all. I know, I know we certainly enjoyed it and there's obviously lots that we're getting out of this book. Um, if you're reading it yourself, we'd love to hear how it's impacting you. Send us a text or an email or talk to us at church. Uh, We'd love to discuss it more, but thanks for joining us, friends and family. We hope to see you next time on Redeemer Radio. Till then, grace and peace to you all.